It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today. It's Friday, so we're going to shine the spotlight on the world of uh, show business coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour and uh, talk to a couple of uh, uh, professors, uh, one from California State University and the other one from uh, Loyola in Los Angeles, Peter Desberg and uh, Jeffrey Davis. I think we're going to have them both on, but Peter for sure is going to be joining me by phone to talk about their new book, Pitch Like Hollywood, What You Can Learn from the High Stakes Film Industry. And in the middle of the show, the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to hear a few snippets from uh, the governor's uh, State of the State message uh, just recently and talk about that and much more with State Representative John Cherry, who just recently announced his candidacy for State Senate. We'll talk about the uh, governor's speech and the recent GM announcement and his plans for uh, election. But first, my first guest this morning, uh, this hour, we're going to talk about some things that have been in the uh, headlines recently with regard to social media and um, uh, two new lawsuits um, that uh, address the impact social media has on adolescents uh, filed by the Social Media Victims Law Center, and we're going to talk about that, and we'll probably talk about the Supreme Court uh, nomination process and uh, pick by uh, President Joe Biden and a few other legal things with uh, Chief Legal Analyst for Esquire Digital, Aaron Solomon, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. You know, a three-hour tour sounds a little ominous, like Gilligan's Island, but if I remember <laughs> correctly, everything was fine during the first hour, so we should be good. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, encouraged by the fact that um, you could make a radio out of a coconut. It's exactly. And you're <laughs> the professor today, so ask away. <laughs> um, let's, let's get into this a little bit, because there's been a lot in, in the news about social media. Just even, even just recently, this, this whole business about uh, um, iTunes and Joe Rogan and Neil Young. Um, and, and then, of course, what we had originally planned to talk about are these uh, two new lawsuits. Let's start with the lawsuits, because I, that's something that doesn't get big headlines. 
It doesn't, and it really should, because the lawsuits that are being filed against Snap and Meta, and people re- remember that Facebook is now called Meta. Nonetheless, these lawsuits are about minor children who were either addicted to the social media technology, were bullied, and um, took their lives from suicide. So it was a very, very serious thing, and lawsuits were filed against these companies, and this is really the basis of the lawsuit. You know, we all know that what social media companies do is provide a service, but I think it's easier for all of us to think about Snap, which is Snapchat, and Meta, which is Facebook, to think about their services, let's just call them a product because that way we can relate more to it like any other product that we go out to the store and buy. The argument in these lawsuits is that the product that these social media companies are offering are inherently dangerous, and they shouldn't be used by any of us, particularly minors. And that really is the issue here, is that the the minors an issue where I think 11 and 12 years old. Um, The same argument was used with tobacco. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the argument here. Now, of course, the difference with tobacco, uh, contrasting tobacco and technology, is that all of us know that any technology that we decide to use on our computers and particularly on our smartphones, we agree to a terms of service. And I can say this from the perspective of somebody with a law degree. These terms of service are pretty onerous, and we all know that we don't read the terms of service. And here's a secret for your listeners. Neither do lawyers, right? But, but if you do... <laughs> Unless did, they're on the you, clock, right, Aaron? Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, then we read it real slow. Yeah, sure, because yeah. we're billing you in six-minute increments. Right. But nonetheless, I did look at the SNAP and the Meta terms of service, and they do say very, very clearly that their product, shouldn't be used by anybody under age 13, and any minor should be using their product with parental supervision. So that's going to be the basis of their defense. And is it is it a good one, or do judges uh, realize that people don't read the terms of service either? Well, I mean, yes, I think judges do realize that we don't use the terms of service, but not reading a contract really is not a very good defense to the contract. So, you know, for example, Gmail. We've known for years that Gmail has pretty aggressive terms of service. And um, we use Gmail anyway, because when we use a technology, for every one of our listeners, every time you use a technology, there's a trade-off. Gmail gives us all this great free stuff. It even gives businesses free stuff like Google Docs and G Suite and all these things. And in exchange, they gather a heck of a lot of data from you. And, you know, people like me, I use Google services. I'm willing to make that trade off. But when it comes to the lives of children and their well being, this is really something that the court of law needs to say listen, this is kind of where we draw the line, and that's what we're going to see over the next few months. Well, it, it's. It, interesting in this because as you describe your use um there's there's a fair exchange there you're willing to give up some privacy for the convenience you're making a conscious decision um and and the question is and it's a little bit like like a hammer is it a tool or a blunt instrument um with with social media is it is it a tool or is it a blunt instrument and you know, I'm old enough, Aaron, to remember, you know, bullying was something that happened uh, face-to-face uh, in the halls at, at school and on the playgrounds. 
And I don't remember kids taking their own lives about it. What is it about cyberbullying that seems to make it so much more lethal? I think we're, we're reasonably close in age, Tom. And I remember that bullying happened, you know, someone would say, meet me in the, in the playground after school. And either you would both show up or one of you would show up or neither of you would yeah, show up. Right. And then whatever happened, happened. And then it was pretty much over. Yeah. Um, I actually remember once as a teenager that a bully said, you know, I want to meet you in the playground. And I showed up and he didn't. And then he started to call us. And my dad went over to his parents' house and said, what the heck? Like that was the equivalent in the 1970s of today's cyber stalking. The big difference is with technology, we truly do live in a global world. You know, in my situation, in your situation, we could be bullied by somebody in our class. And now you can be bullied if you're in Michigan by somebody in Estonia. Right. So it, it's a totally different, it's a totally different ball game. Um, and also kids are being bullied in different ways. So part of the claim in one of these lawsuits is that this young girl was body shamed and told that she was hideous and, and all these kinds of things that when it starts to pile up online is extremely dangerous and detrimental to the development of a child. So I'm sure all of our listeners who are listening to this are thinking, okay, but what about the parents? And that's something that's going to come into play in this case as well. Yeah, that's um, something I think we're, we're going to hear a lot more about as a result of these cases, but others as they come up is, you know, what what is the parental responsibility? We have a, a school shooting case uh, that happened um, near where I'm broadcasting from in Flint, Michigan, um, just up the road in, or just down the road in uh, Oxford. And it was, you know, one of these... Um, you know, loner types uh, that came in and, and shot up his school. But the parents are being charged as well. Right. So, you know, the parental responsibility thing speaks to your analogy before about the blunt instrument. So there's no doubt that social media does play a positive role in the lives of a lot of people. It's a way for them to be connected and stay connected. But these cases are speaking to very, very young children. So if we go back to the terms of service, number one, the terms of service say that anybody under 13 shouldn't be using these blunt technologies. And these children were. The second thing is that anybody under 18 needs to do it with parental supervision. And I know it's extremely difficult for any parents to monitor everything their child does online. But parents need to make a lot of strategic decisions as well. So, you know, there are 11-year-olds who have their own phones. There are 9-year-olds and 8-year-olds who have their own phones open and free use to technology. And then there are other families where the kids don't get phones until they're 15 or 16 years old. Nonetheless, absolutely what Snap and Meta and any of these social media companies are going to tell the court is that ultimately the parents have a huge responsibility. And in my mind, from a legal perspective, Tom, there's always going to be with anybody under 18, a shared responsibility between the parent and the provider of that social media product to make sure that their children are safe. And that's a good point. And, and there needs to be that 
kind of involvement from the provider as well because in an awful lot of cases I don't know how it works for you but I know how many times I've had to have my kids teach me how to use the technology the problem with parental uh, supervision is that the kids and, and I'm talking about you know 10 and 12 and 13 year olds and maybe even some younger know the technology better than their parents of course, especially when it's a new technology, because even very young kids got in on the ground floor in things like TikTok. And there are private communication technologies such as Signal and Telegram, where kids get bullied as well, that most of our listeners will never have heard of. I bet you a lot of our listeners have never heard of Telegram. But it's basically a secure messaging service that is kind of the opposite of things like WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook Meta. Um, and there are data issues that can come along with it and privacy issues. So people have built things that are more private. So I agree, Tom. Sometimes the younger people who are, to use this old term, digital natives, know these technologies much better than the parents. And they even do things like set up, as some kids do, they call them burner Instagram accounts. So they have an Instagram account or a social, another social media account where they show their parents, hi, this is my account, and it's all innocent and great, but they actually have a private account that the parents don't know about. This is not uncommon. Well, I, you know, I used to joke when I, when I started uh, with social media was with uh, MySpace, and I, I used to joke that I, um, that I set up a MySpace page so that I could keep track of what my kids were doing because they would post things they would never admit to me. Of course, and during the time of MySpace, there were even things that started like LiveJournal. I know some of our listeners are nodding their heads right now. Oh, yeah, I remember LiveJournal. <laughs> and LiveJournal was a more intimate, personal thing. There was also bullying that would happen on that, and it was kind of almost a prelude to the functionality of Facebook. And these things aren't going to stop, Tom. I mean, you know, we talk about Snap and Meta now. The technologies are only getting better and in some ways more complex, more subversive. Technology is not going to stop. And that's why the courts are involved, because the courts have to basically be able to draw a line for society, saying this is where we feel the user's responsibility is. And in a case that involves a minor, this is where we feel the responsibility of the parent is, the responsibility of the social media provider, and what are the points of intersection between the two? Well, and we've seen it during the evolution of technology, and I'm talking about uh, pre-microchip in, in computer, I'm talking about radio and television and you know daily newspapers, all of those communication systems ended up needing some kind of oversight, some standards that they needed to, to live by. And the Internet's really, uh, you know, since its inception, kind of been the wild, wild west. Sure, absolutely, it has. But, you know, the thing is, it was really designed that way. So people always talk about, you know, is this a bug or is it a feature, right? And it's a feature. Aaron, um, I have to take a short break here, and I want to talk about this some more, and there's some other things I want to run by you. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk more? Absolutely. All right. Love to. Um, my guest is um, 
Aaron Solomon, who is the chief legal analyst for Esquire Digital. We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze in a few words. We'll Hello be right back. Hello everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. 
Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about uh, uh, Instagram and Snapchat uh, Snapchat media addiction and some resulting uh, uh, lawsuits from the uh, Social Media Victims Law Center with uh, uh, Chief Legal Analyst for Esquire Digital, Aaron Solomon, who joins me by phone. Aaron, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. I enjoyed the commercials. Not a problem at all. Okay, good. Um, let's get back to these lawsuits. Procedurally, where are they in the court system, and are these uh, cases that are likely to press forward um, all the way to the Supreme Court? So, first of all, they're at the United States District Court level. These are federal cases. So just a very quick civics reminder for our listeners, we've got three levels. So let's say whatever party loses at U.S. District Court, if this actually goes all the way to trial, can then appeal to the United States Circuit Court. And then if there is still an issue, an area of law that the losing party then thinks is still appealable, they could try to get a writ of sessuari to the Supreme Court. The chances of the Supreme Court ever accepting a case are close to zero. Nonetheless, I think that this will proceed through the district court level. And my reason for thinking that none of these parties are going to settle quickly is because it sets a very dangerous precedent for any of these social media companies, including the ones involved in these cases, to settle this kind of case. Because what you're basically saying, if you're meta, is, you know what, um, basically anything that happens to someone who uses our product, even people who we've said in our terms of service shouldn't use it, well, then we may make a deal with their families. So I don't think that they're going to feel that they're in a position to do that. I feel that from their perspective, they should be litigating. And that's what they're going to do. How this is going to turn out? is anybody's guess, because as we know, there's certainly a great kind of upswell of public opinion, and there has been for a couple of years now, against some of the things these social media companies are doing. And conversely, there's a great upswell of public opinion for us wanting our children to be safe online. Well, how in, in this particular case, and we mentioned uh, toward the end of the last segment, that this is kind of the internet's sort of been the wild west where where and how can can this court or some future court uh, draw a line between free speech and social responsibility yeah it's a great question but again these cases specifically are about minors so what these what the court uh, needs to tell these social media companies is listen 12 year olds can't use your your product period you need to figure out a way to ensure that the people who are using your product who say they're 13 instead of 12 or who say they're 19 instead of 17 are actually those ages because we feel that your this is just one way the court could go the court could say we feel that for a 12 year old your product is unreasonably dangerous and that's something that the plaintiff's lawyers here 
are trying to get as an end result. Now, when it comes to the rest of us as adults, there's always going to be a dynamic tension and balance between what we're allowed to use out there in the cyber lands, right, and what we can say, and it's going to be the same thing and has been for ages, and we saw this with former President Trump, about what public officials are allowed to say. Um, and we have to remember one thing about these companies. Companies like Twitter and Snapchat and Meta, we can go through all of these companies. These are privately held companies. So there is a certain amount that these companies can do saying we don't want user X or user Y or we don't want this kind of speech, right? These aren't government entities. These aren't public companies, some of them. Some of them are and some of them aren't. So that's just something that we need to think about moving forward as well. And yet the marketing implications are, um, are really driving the decisions that people make. Well, they are because we have to remember the end game for these companies. Every one of these social media companies is essentially a data company in so many different ways, right? And we even think about companies like Amazon. We don't really delude ourselves into thinking that Amazon's main business is delivering packages to us really fast. Amazon is a data play. <laughs> Amazon wants to gather as much user information about us as they can so they can use, reprocess, sell that information, do whatever they want with it. Amazon ideally wants to know. Amazon should be giving us all free devices to do everything we want in our lives so they know how we exist 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, social media companies do some of those same things. The deeper that social media companies can get their tentacles into our lives, the more valuable those companies become. When it's somebody under 18, and particularly when it's somebody under 13, the law gets more involved. And this, this seems um, really tough to grapple with because unlike the telephone, which was um, the, the first time that we felt, you know, immediately connected in the moment to other people anywhere on the planet. Um, it wasn't in a public forum. These were all very private conversations. Of course. And now we live in an extremely public world. Many of us, our entire existence is driven by pixels these days. I mean, it, that's not an exaggeration. It may sound a little bit dramatic, and given the fact that I'm a writer, I'll admit to it being a little bit dramatic, but, but many of us live online lives. I mean, I've had conversations over the past 12 hours in China and Hong Kong and Scandinavia and Europe and North America. That's the existence that I live, and I do it from where I choose to do it. So that's very, very different from the older days when we could pick up a phone and maybe we picked up the phone and couldn't even get a long-distance line. Times have changed dramatically. So it means that in some ways we're just much more exposed than we ever have been. And, and how, do we, how do we set a standard of conduct for behavior on these platforms? Great question. So let's look at that from the perspective of minors first. Parents need to educate their minor children yeah. about how they should be acting online. And I know that people are laughing hearing that because some parents don't act very well online either. But let's say <laughs> that they did. Let's argue that they did for a second. They were acting like responsible adults, not like you know keyboard warriors saying mean things to other people. Then you should be educating your children as to what responsible online citizenship is all about. 
Because if we really are global citizens through our, our online connections, then we should interact with each other in fair and nice ways. And then the broader question, Tom, which you bring up is, as a society, how should we determine what's okay and what's not okay? Because there's always going to be a balance between quashing speech and even doing that in advance, right? Um, and having free dialogue, but can we really have free dialogue if we can't deal with each other in respectful ways? And anybody who's ever been on Twitter sees how quickly a Twitter gang can appear to pile on someone who said the wrong thing or said something the wrong way. So I think that online etiquette is probably worse in 2022 than it ever has been, and all of us have a lot of learning to do. And then when we do that learning, we have a lot of teaching for the next generation. And as you said earlier, Tom, maybe that next generation will be more respectful and better at this, and they can teach us. That, um, But there needs to be a standard set. And my concern is, and, and you, you pointed out that there are, mama trolls and daddy trolls out there um, is that the examples that are being set for young people are that there are no limits I think you're right a I lot of young people wouldn't even know what civil discourse means true and even if a parent says to their child you know what, you shouldn't bully somebody, you shouldn't interact with somebody online on any of these platforms in that way, and the child hears it, and then five minutes later, the child hears one parent saying to another parent, oh, I told this person off about this issue online, and the kid's thinking, wait, is there one rule for me and one rule for you? Right. There needs to be a more uniform standard in our society with saying things like, you know what, it's okay to have different opinions, it's okay to disagree, and if we really can't get along, that's why we have blocking and reporting features on all of these platforms. Um, but what happens, again, a lot with minors is there's such a piling on, and the kids justifiably take it seriously, and things can snowball extremely quickly. We're not even talking about over a course of days or weeks, but over a course of hours, a child can feel extremely vulnerable, and at times, maybe that their life's not worth living anymore. How How is it, Aaron, that, that you don't think cases like these would be taken up by the Supreme Court? I, I would think that the Supreme Court would be compelled to help raise the bar or the, the standard of um, decency with regard to uh, online content. So we've seen over the past year that the Supreme Court has sniffed around cases like this. But something that we all have to remember is that what the Supreme Court does is they decide the law of the land, and they pick and choose their cases where they feel there's a really compelling, and this is the key word, the key term is issue of law. So even if we look at something as polarizing in the United States as the abortion issue, the cases that the Supreme Court chooses to hear over the years aren't necessarily the best cases or the worst cases or in the middle cases. They're the cases where they feel an issue of law is presented that needs clarification, is particularly compelling, and that's what the Supreme Court does. So I believe they would hear social media cases like this if it went all the way through from the district court to the appellate court to the Supreme Court if they felt there was an issue of law that needed to be determined. But what the Supreme Court's not going to do 
is take a case for the purpose of telling us how we should behave unless there's an issue of law that is our behavior is wrapped in. But it seems like, um, and, and I'm not sure what the issue of law would be, Aaron, but it, it seems like there must be one when the, the standards allow for people to be hurt by it. Sure, and in a case like the, the Meta and Snap cases, the issue of law that could eventually filter up to the Supreme Court would be, how does a social media company ensure the safety of minor children, particularly children under age 13? Now, there has to be a way technologically they can do that. So if they're not protecting children using their own technology for these children who use this technology, that could be a legal issue for the Supreme Court to look at. But I don't think the Supreme Court is ever really going to look at how do two American adults who are mad at each other on Twitter, and I'm not saying that you're saying this at all, interact with each other and should there be a better standard. They might look at an issue like if two people aren't getting along in social media, at what point does the social media company have a legal obligation to step in and do something? Is is there um, is is there a clear way? Do do we um, do we have any examples uh, on the internet where companies have set rules that are enforceable and um, and guide behavior into more positive uh, interactions? I'm going to go way back to a very early time on the internet, like the late 1990s, where um, Salon, the Salon magazine, which was extremely popular back then, had this online community called The Well. And The Well was built around, you know, kind of high-level intellectual discourse and respectful discourse. And you, there, you couldn't get away with anything there. You would basically be banned. Interestingly, there's this thing called Discord, which exists today, and it's very popular among online gamers. And they also have a whole bunch of forums there. And each of these individual forums have essentially what a lot of our listeners will think of as webmasters. And these forums are kind of individually policed with their own behavioral standards. And some of them, anything goes, it's the wild, wild west. And other forums on places like Discord, and even things like Reddit, you can't get away with anything, and you'll get banned for life. And they can even log your IP address to see if you're then setting up a new account as somebody else. So how do we do this in a broader way within society? I think it's a mix between our own behavior, between the responsibilities of these social media companies, and the law interceding as well. And, and does government have a role in that? Sure, because, you know, Congress can legislate. And state legislatures can legislate. And I guarantee you that in 2022, lots of state legislatures are looking at issues like how can we keep kids safer online? And there have been lots of bills at the federal level that have attempted to do that. But, you know, that's, again, where we get into a big dynamic tension, right? You've got, like, you know, Internet Safety Acts and Internet Privacy Acts and, and Internet Regulation Acts of these social media and other companies. And ideally... These are things that the social media companies would do themselves before Congress and before the courts, including the Supreme Court, would get involved. But 
I think we've all realized that we've reached the point where they're not doing that. So now it needs to be both political action and legal action, and as we said, when it comes to minors, a lot more parental action and responsibility on that end as well. Um, now this is getting off our topic a little bit, but I did want to ask because it's uh, it's it's been in the news. Um, what do you think is going to happen with the uh, uh, nomination and confirmation uh, process uh, of of filling uh, Justice Breyer's seat on the uh, Supreme Court? I'm really glad you asked, Tom, um, even though we hadn't talked about this, because I follow the Supreme Court very closely on a daily basis. So President Biden has said that he's going to nominate a black woman. This is a, pro this is a promise that he's made for a long time. So the good news is for everybody in the nation that there is no shortage of immensely well-qualified black female candidates. And here's just three who are front runners: just Justice U.S. District Judge James L. Child from South Carolina, who a lot of people have described as a fair-minded and highly gifted jurist. We've got U.S. District Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson and California Supreme Court Justice Leandra R. Kruger. Any and each of these candidates, not including any of the others that are out there, would be absolutely fantastic Supreme Court justices. But, and this is not a but in any way against them, Justice Breyer had many intangible roles that he served on the court. Two of them are worth mentioning today. One was that his questioning, and I listen to oral arguments all the time, Justice Breyer asks some of the best questions, questions that really get to the core of the issue. The other thing is Justice Breyer has been noted as being exceptionally skilled at brokering backroom deals on opinions among the other justices. Now, I'm going to tell you my prediction, not my prediction as to who's going to be the next Supreme Court justice or nominee, because I have no idea. It's going to be somebody great, I guarantee it. The person who is going to step into Justice Breyer's role in questioning and in bringing together other justices, I know some people are going to be surprised when I say this, is Amy Coney Barrett. I, She's I'm, already proven herself to be a great jurist. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. I think she surprised everybody after all of the panic buttons that were pushed prior to her uh, confirmation. Um, but... Uh, that that raises another question about the procedure itself. Chuck Schumer wants to give back to the uh, to the GOP what they got when they felt like uh, Amy Coney Barrett was rammed through in 30 days. Um, do you think the process is is gonna go that way? The White House doesn't seem to be in that much of a hurry, but I think Chuck Schumer wants to feed it back to the Republicans. March 1st is going to be a very important date to get a nomination out when we count back from, you know, vacations and the 2022 midterms. I've already predicted kind of on many, many shows that I actually am predicting a red wave for the midterm elections. So I think that this is the opportunity for President Biden to get in this pick. Now, I think that there are two wild cards in the Democratic Senate, Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin, who could go either way on a nomination, but that's all based on presuming it's going to be close to 50-50. I'd be really surprised if any of the three candidates that I've already mentioned 
are going to be super close to 50-50 because they're so good. I'd also be surprised, and we can, we can say ramming through, that's fine. I don't think this is going to be a super long nomination process. The reality is, if we get this thing done by March 1st, we get a name out there, there's not a really great way to block President Biden making this nomination. And these are very skilled jurists. So is it going to be like a record 28 days? Is it going to be 30 days, 35 days, 50 days? It's going to be in that range. It's not going to be super long. And I think it's going to go reasonably quickly. I don't think it's going to be a shoe-in, but I'd be surprised if either or any of these three candidates don't get it. Um, and, and you think that there will be some bipartisan support for any of those three candidates? I think very little, but there will be some. There has to be. Um, well, there has to be now because the the Democrats just lost a senator to stroke um, temporarily, but long enough uh, he'll be out of commission long enough to um, affect his uh, ability to weigh in on this decision if it goes that quickly. Exactly. And again, I think that the GOP is going to do whatever they can do to make the process frictive at times. But I think that everybody, um, and we've seen you know, statements from Lindsey Graham, I think it's a fait accompli that Biden is going to get in his nominee. And I think that there's enough of a process built around it at this point that it's going to be a nominee that both sides are going to be reasonably comfortable with. I really don't see this nominee being like a huge win for the Democrats and a huge loss for the GOP. Well, it isn't going to change the the uh, perceived balance of uh, uh, right versus left. No, I mean, we're looking, again, we're looking at a 6-3 conservative majority in the, in the Supreme Court, and we still will be. But as I've been saying for a year now, and the cases and decisions have really borne this out. It's a fairly unpredictable court. Um, and that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because they're showing a flexibility and they're showing kind of like a judicial nimbleness that not everybody thought would happen. Well, Aaron, we just have a, uh, a minute or so left, and I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Um, do you have a, a website that you'd like to, to share where people can maybe dig down a little bit? Of course. So our company website is EsquireDigital.com. We also have our own online newspaper called todaysesquire.com. And if you'd like to read more about the things that I write, and I really write about where kind of law intersects with life, politics, sports. I've been doing the media rounds this week about the National Football League and the Brian Flores lawsuit. I'm actually on ESPN talking about that this afternoon. So all you've got to do is Google Aaron with 1A Solomon, and you're going to have lots and lots of stuff to read. Well, I, I appreciate you spending time with me uh, this morning to talk about this, uh, uh, to talk about this uh, Supreme Court thing, but also these these lawsuits about social media, because I think we're going to see a, a lot of um, legal wrangling over social media in the in the months and possibly years to come. I agree, Tom. So thanks for having me, and I always appreciate the kind of dialogue you have on your show, and I do listen to your show. I think it's great. I think that doing a deep dive into issues like this is wonderful for everybody because I think it sparks conversation. Well, that's what I hope it does. I like to 
think that I'm encouraging people to think without telling them what to think. And that you are, Tom. All right. Well, Aaron, keep up the good work. Thanks for your time. You too. Thanks for having me, Tom. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There was one time I really wanted revenge. Revenge. I'm telling you right now, boy, I hated that guy so much. And I got it. Got it good. See, I, I had a snowball in my hand. And uh, I was going to hit Harold with the snowball, see. So Harold was coming down the street, and I was laughing to myself because I know how funny Harold is. See, every time you hit him with a snowball in the face, blop, he always says the same thing. He says, hey, man, what you want to hit me in the face with a snowball for, man? You know, and I just laugh. Ah. So I'm just waiting for him, man. I got this light, fluffy snowball, you know, ready to hit him. And that's the rules of the game. You cannot hit a kid in the face with a slush ball. Slush ball, is, it has ice and water and gunk all in it, you know. And you, you can't hit a kid in the face with you. You cannot drop into those open galoshes either because it sends him home. You know, hey, what do you want to drop into the galoshes for? You know, you know. So, uh, I'm tickled to death, man, because I know it's a plop. Hey, man, what do you want to eat? And he's about three feet away, and I raise up to hit him. So I said, pow! On the side of the face, and it was stinging. And all the juice ran down in my underwear and everything. And it was ice all in my ear. Somebody hit me on the side of the face with a slush ball. And I looked around one eye, and there's old Junior Barnes just to laughing. Cosby, I got you good. I hit you real good, didn't I? And I said, hey, man, what you want to hit me on the side of the face with a slush ball for, man? And I picked up a snowball and I threw it at him and I missed him. And he started running. I said, Junior Bond, you come back. And I chased him. I threw another one at him. I couldn't catch him. And I cursed at him. I was so mad. You gunky! You stink! Junior Bond, you gunk! Come back here. I'll punch you right about. Hit somebody in the face with a such ball. Let all that stuff go down in the underwear. And I didn't even care. I just sat right down in the snow. I was so mad. And it started to melt. <laughs> right through my four pair of corduroys. <laughs> and I didn't even care. Because I know when I go home, the only thing my mother is talking about, you dummy, how come you sit down in the snow and let it just melt right through your four pair of corduroys? Yeah, Bob, well, what do you care? That's all you care about. Somebody sit down in the snow and let it melt right through your four pair of corduroys. You don't care that a junior bar hit me on the side of the face with a sledge ball and let all the gunk go down on my underwear. Because if you didn't care, you'd go out and get him. <laughs> I'm going to get Junior Barnes. 
I'm gonna get you, Junior Barnes, boy, I'm gonna get you. And I started to make a snowball for Junior Barnes. I make a snowball that's so round and so perfect. It's got a little name inscribed, says Junior Barnes. And I went out looking for Junior Barnes. Junior Barnes, <laughs> you gunky. Oh, Junior Barnes. And I couldn't find him. And it was 7.30. I have to get home before the monsters come out. <laughs> and I took that snowball home. And I put it in the freezer. And I waited. July. July 12th. My birthday. It was 104 degrees in the shade. Not a snowball in sight. Junior Barnes was sitting on the steps in front of my house. I was standing there with him. I had gone to great lengths to prove to Junior Barnes that I was his greatest friend. Let him drink out of my orange soda bottle without even wiping it off. <laughs> and old Junior Barnes just sitting there telling his little jokes. Ah! And I was laughing right with him. Junior Barnes, you are so funny. Ah. And I said, Junior Barnes, I'm going to the house and get an orange soda for us. You just wait right here. Ah! You gunky. <laughs> and I walked in the house and opened that freezer door and my mother had thrown the snowball away. <laughs> so I went back outside and I spit on him. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Surrender, hatred in our streets. All we could find. 
right about her apples in a tree. No lies were on a limb, moral poverty. Remember when the light would never fade You could tell in the end what everything was made For better or for worse, we struggle for the day When things would get more meaning and meaning would surely pay You got to live for yourself Give what you can
trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.